One plus one equals two. Yes! Do you remember when you learned that? Do you remember how young you were? You probably don't, but these most basic concepts in mathematics serve as an essential groundwork for more complex mathematics. These fundamentals grow and evolve over time. They morph into linear regressions, imaginary numbers, and all that fancy econometrics I learned that I ended up only using half of in my life. Now, most fascinatingly, across the entire globe, mathematics is essentially the same. Now, sure, there are different methods to measure it or get to similar answers depending on who's teaching, but the core principles of math do not change with your country code because it's a universal language. There are very few communication tools that adhere to such an intrinsic principle. One language that I believe is close to being ubiquitous is something we subscription and SaaS operators utilize every single day, and that's marketing. Marketing is actually easy to learn at a very, very basic level. You promote your value for the return of goods and services every single day. But marketing, much like math, can be increasingly complex and executing at a very high level takes the dedication and wisdom of essentially a tenured mathematician. One of those tenured professors of marketing and probably a little bit of math, in fact, she's probably the chair of the department, is Leela Srinivasan. I caught up with her at a conference in 2019 and she had plenty to share on lessons in marketing. And even though her taste in American football teams is absolutely dreadful, she can take you from the basic phonics of the marketing language to complex formulas and equations and all that and more coming up next. From ProfitWell Recur, it's Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, Leela Srinivasan teaches us all about marketing. We talk about dispelling the myth that marketing is subjective, operating in the feedback economy, and the onus of employee growth opportunity. Sure. My name is Leela Srinivasan. I am the CMO at SurveyMonkey. I've been there about a year and a half now. I'm about 10 years into my marketing journey only. Um, before that, I worked in management consulting for Bain. Before that, I worked in sales um, for a company for about five and a half years, first as an AE and then as a sales manager. So, And then there was business school somewhere in the mix there. So, yeah. No, that's awesome. And from a marketing perspective, especially with a management consulting background, there's like different archetypes of CMOs, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there's the more brand focused one. There's the like very data focused one. There's blends of everything in between. Like, how would you describe like the role of CMO from the perspective of like what you find important? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think what, what I love about marketing and being a CMO is this, it's this mashup, right, of left and right brain. And I think what I bring to the equation, first of all, I'm a liberal arts major. So English and history, I love language, I love content. But also, I think my time at uh, Bain in management consulting, and then moving into product marketing at LinkedIn, uh, really forced me to be data driven and bring both quantitative and qualitative insight to the table. So I think, you know, the, the delicious blend of quant and qual of uh, sort of harder skills and softer skills is what makes me excited to be a marketer. And how do you balance that, right? Because obviously on one extreme, you're doing the, I don't know if you remember this article from like 10 years ago, but the, the 43 shades of blue, right? Mm. That Marissa Mayer at Google like uh -huh. made tests, you know, and the designers were just aghast that she would look at this this way. And then on the other end, it's just pure gut, right? Like how do you balance when to like go after those instincts and go after more of that qualitative versus when to go after that quantitative? We exercise gut on a daily and sometimes hourly basis. I think social social media is a prime example of where, you know, 
going with your gut and remembering to be a good human being and sticking to your, you know, if your brand mantra is approachable and helpful and all those things, making sure that comes through. I have actually found though in, in uh, recent months, so we've been bringing a data-driven perspective to brand marketing, which, you know, might, might feel like, uh, you know, sacrilege to the brand marketers out there, but there's no reason that you should run a campaign and not have confidence that the creative is going to land and have impact. And, you know, history is littered with companies that have just got it wrong. So what we've, uh, you know, you can imagine at SurveyMonkey, we do like to eat in our own restaurant. But with our most recent brand campaign, we tested taglines, we tested visuals, we tested uh, different color schemes because and not 43 shades of blue. But should we, did we have the confidence to stick to SurveyMonkey green in a world where we're, we're helping people understand that we are an enterprise brand, that we are beyond self-serve and into the enterprise, or was it was now the right time to use more blue? And the good news for us is that when we tested that, we actually had a much higher recall, 60% ad recall with green versus 40% with blue. So, so you know, I think uh, what I found in that, in that whole kind of episode was it's not only having the confidence in the creative, it's about being able to dispel the myth that marketing is purely subjective. Because it, had we not had that evidence walking in to meet with our CEOs and uh, president and said, here's the creative and here's why we're confident in it, then it would have become, you know, armchair marketing at its best where everybody has an opinion about what you're putting forth. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of like, anything that we don't understand is always subjective, right? You know, exactly. like art, oh, it must be subjective because, you know, but in reality, we're not an artist. We don't understand form or symmetry and those types of things. Now, when you think about like that branding exercise or any other exercise that is more traditionally subjective or thought of as subjective, was there anything that you found in the data from the branding exercise that you actually rejected or you were like, we don't care what the data says, we're actually gonna go this way because of our values or our principles or what we think the world is going towards. Like, how do you think about that? Yeah, in this particular case, I don't know that there was anything like that, but I know in prior um, exercises, I go back to, to Lever actually, where I was most recently before SurveyMonkey, and we turned to uh, surveys and feedback to get input on the name of a, an upcoming feature that we wanted to launch. And so whatever answer that we landed on in the survey was not the winner that people internally thought it should be, but we didn't go with the, the answer that was there. It caused us to think more deeply. And there were reasons that, you know, from a competitive standpoint for, for certain other things that just meant that wasn't the right choice for us. But what it did do was show that the answer that we had thought was the winner was clearly not. So I think it's about you have to temper the data with ground it in real world context and make sure that it just makes sense. If you were like creating some sort of like spectrum or framework on this, like, because what I kind of struggle with is when, when you think of like naming or colors or these types of things, it's good to collect data and feedback, but then all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're like, oh, I don't know, like, let's just do this, right? And that seems somewhat okay, right? Presumably, right? But then there's things where it's like, oh, is this channel or this sub-channel working over this other channel? And that's probably not a place where you should necessarily be as subjective. Like, no, absolutely. I mean, performance think, yeah. marketing, you, you know, you, you, your data is your go-to. And I mean, you're still operating within the constraint of, is this right for my brand? I think, you know, there are certain tactics that might work well for co certain companies that we wouldn't do because it's just sure. not in keeping with our brand and our values. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as putting that aside, uh, I do think, you know, we do a lot because our business spans both self-serve and um, enterprise. We do a lot of experimentation, especially on the growth marketing or the, the self-serve side. 
And that, you know, we're constantly looking at data and understanding if we have statistical significance before we make big decisions. And we're talking right now about basically the what I think is the middle step, which is, oh yeah, everyone's bought into like understanding data. Now we have to understand the limits of our data and how to choose our data. But in reality, like, I don't know, and correct me if I'm, if you're wrong, or maybe you don't have data on this, like most companies aren't doing their research. Um, most companies are just strictly instinctual or gut. Um, a lot of them are small businesses and maybe they don't have the resources to, to get as much research as they need. But Tell me a little bit more about like creating that culture of research, creating that culture of you know getting addicted to more and more information to help you make a better decision. Sure. The ex example I'll give um, at SurveyMonkey is uh, ties in with our values actually. So I think part of it is thinking about how your values, if you're a leader, should reflect this need and this desire and this benefit of listening. So we have a, a company value that is literally listen to customers. And as we were thinking about how to bring that alive in our OKRs this year, what we landed on was an OKR, the headline of which is obsess about our customer success. I chose the word obsess very deliberately because I do think that that's what it takes in a, a modern organization to listen, understand, and then act on what you're hearing. How we've brought this to life, um, a few different ways. So we have a bunch of different channels in Slack where we feed in results from um, specific surveys. So sometimes it's surveys directly from customers where we can see that real-time feedback. Other times we have something called a customer interaction report where we're encouraging SurveyMonkey employees basically to have an interaction with a customer and then file almost like a book report on it to share, you know, what's that customer's disposition toward us? How are we helping them? What do they, what do they wish were different? And all of those are piped into a, a Slack channel that the whole company can see. And we choose two or three examples per company all hands to highlight and celebrate the act of listening to customers and sharing that feedback. So I think you have to model the behavior as a, a leader. You also have to create these channels or these places to celebrate and elevate that feedback. But then the, the, what really matters, of course, is acting on it. Like, what are you doing differently based on what you've learned? And I've seen a lot of our product managers, for example, and I monitor that customer interaction report very closely. I'm often looking for, oh, wow, that customer looks like someone who would be a great one to showcase when we're telling stories. But I'm also keeping an eye out for, oh, wow, that's, a, that's not a good experience they just had. Who's going to follow up in our organization to make sure they feel heard? That's interesting. And part of it that I find really, really fascinating, too, is like part of your marketing is to convince people that this is important or to accelerate those who already kind of inherently know it's important. How do you get people over that like first step where it's like, hey, just start asking this question on this email or mm -hmm. send this survey after every this interaction? Like, how do you even get them convinced of that or, or can yeah. you convince them? Well, I mean, it, it starts with data or it can at least, as you might expect, given what we do. We have a team of in-house researchers who are constantly out there uh, taking the temperature on various things. And we've got a whole bunch of stats. In fact, I can share afterwards the uh, blog post that we wrote that basically details a bunch of stats that show that we are operating in what we call the feedback economy. So I would attribute this to three things going on in the world. The first is the world has never been more transparent. Thanks to the web, anything that can be known will be known. And this is the ether in which your customers, your employees, any other stakeholders are constantly listening and sharing. The second thing is humans have always wanted to be heard. And so you give them the megaphone of the web and social and they're going to use it. 
And then the third thing is, you think about how people's expectations for experiences have transformed in the last decade plus, right? And I blame this iPhone here or whatever it is that where people are just, they're so accustomed to consumer grade technology and things working and things working well that their expectations of experiences are really heightened. So you, you smash all of those things together and we are just living in a world of unprecedented feedback giving. It's not going anywhere. That is here to stay. And if you're not listening into that, then I think you, you really struggle. So we've got a bunch of stats that we encourage people to socialize at their companies to really drive home how important it is to listen to customers. And then from there, what, I mean, what you're talking about, if you're good, and I think, I think Box is an example of one company that's good at this, you actually step back and you look at your entire customer lifecycle, the entire journey, and you think about all the touch points that you have with a user or with a, with a customer, and you can insert ways to listen throughout that journey to make sure that you're gathering feedback. If you're doing it right, you then pump that into the systems that your teams are using because you want, you want to empower different action coming from that feedback. And from like a marketing perspective, how much of your time, because this is kind of in one of those industries where when someone gets it, they get it. And then you're amplifying and optimizing for them or helping them. Like we already established, there's a big group of people who need to like get it, right? At this point in the market, and you've been there now two years? About a year and a half. Year and a half, mm -hmm. right? So at this point in the market, so it's hard to ask you like, what was it like five years ago? Maybe you might know. Like, I would only know as a, a customer, actually. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you mentioned that. But at this point, like how much of your time, and I, I, it's kind of a hard question to ask, but how much of your time and resources are going to the o blue ocean convincing people that this is important versus, you know, not the red ocean? but the like already established people get it and now you're like teaching them why they need to do X or Y or Z. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at this point they understand the importance of feedback. They are surrounded by it. They're seeing it in their social channels and everything else. So I think they need less convincing of the fact that feedback is here to stay. What I see companies struggling with most, how to make sense of the data, how to move from just gathering data to getting real insight from it and driving change in your organization. And I think that's still daunting, I think, for a lot of organizations. What are like the three things that are kind of holding them back there? It's probably more than three, but... Well, I mean, we do have a lot of data, right? I think we're drowning in data. We're, we're data rich and insights poor sometimes. And it's just a lot of that data sits in different systems. And it's, you know, if it's not, if you can't pair it up and understand correlations and so forth, then it's just hard to know where to begin, right? So I think that's, that's a challenge. Moving to action can be really difficult because there are so many different data sources, right? And I think what I've found to be valuable is to not try and change everything at once and to zero in on the one or two things that you want to do differently coming off a round of research. So, you know, we run regular brand tracker studies using our own technology. We run regular employee pulse surveys. Maybe I'll use that example, actually. And uh, we have definitely changed the way we operate as a company and the, the culture that we um, have established and the way we think about engaging our employees based on what we've learned from these ongoing pulse surveys, right? It's caused us to zero in on, okay, if we believe there are five factors that drive employee engagement, the one where we have the most upside is this one. Let's make sure we come up with two or three things that are going to address that particular pain point. What's something you learned through those pulse surveys that you were just surprised by or, um, and then maybe something that you were super validated with? Yeah, I mean, I take no credit for this, but uh, right, right, just right before I got to, uh, to SurveyMonkey, 
uh, Becky Cantieri, who's our head of people, and her team ran a survey to better understand benefits, right? So you think about how much companies spend on employee benefits a year. It's eye-watering. I don't know how many of them actually survey their employees to find out where they're getting benefit and where they're not. And one of the insights that came back in that survey uh, was we had some people writing in the open-end question box that they they were asking whether the janitorial staff and the kitchen staff and others who are contractors through third parties receive any benefits or you know what, what their benefits package look like. Because to our employees, they're really part of the family. They're part of the SurveyMonkey organization. And so that caused us to step back and say, you know what? This matters to our employees. Actually, it matters to us as a culture. So we're going to invest in giving actually pretty good benefits to our third-party contractors and subsidizing that through through their employer, basically. So that was kind of surprising. And I think, yeah, like a moment of pride makes, that we would do that. It makes your like, heart warm to yeah. think that your team did that and they weren't just asking for massages or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah, that was in a different section. No, yeah, sure. Nah. I think the thing that was validating, I think, for me, uh, and you know, I see this firsthand working in the Valley and having been you know, in marketing there for 10 plus years, we're all constantly being tapped on the shoulder for another opportunity, right? I mean, it's just, it's just a fact of life. And what will often cause somebody to move move organizations is when they don't see a clear path to growth within their current company. Leaders often forget that that onus is on you to show that you're listening to help them carve out uh, a growth path within your organization. And growth doesn't necessarily mean just about title growth and promotion. It's about making sure that they're exposed to different experiences and that they are adding skills and feeling the impact of their work. And so this was something that rose up through our employee pulse surveys as being important. And we actually came up with a different mechanism to run our ongoing sort of career development conversations with employees based on the feedback that we got. So wasn't surprised that that really mattered to employees or that they weren't feeling enough of that, but it was a good reminder. A huge shout out to Leela for doing the pod. Now you have what it takes to speak marketing. Today, we talked about dispelling the myth that marketing is subjective, operating in the feedback economy, and the onus of employee growth opportunity. Oh, and if you want to support ProfitWell in the show, we would greatly appreciate a good five-star review of the podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you listen or watch. The podcast gods tend to like that type of thing. And as you know, if you listen a lot, we like to appease those podcast gods. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle a podcast from ProfitWell Recur, the largest, fastest growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions.